Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. If you will, open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We are going to spend pretty much our entire lesson this morning, this morning and this evening, in Hebrews, because we're going to do a a two-parter, all found from this book. So uh, go ahead and open your Bibles there. Uh, While you open your Bibles there, let me say welcome. Thank you for being here. I was asked probably a year and a half ago, I think by Elaine, to do a, a sermon or a couple of sermons on the idea of how we can have confidence regarding our inheritance, have confidence regarding our salvation. It was so long ago, she probably does not remember asking me to uh, preach on the topic, and I have had it on my list, and I keep shoving it off month after month after month because I come up with other things to discuss. Uh, But I want to discuss that today, this idea of knowing your salvation, knowing your inheritance. And so I've entitled the lesson, God Said It, Period. So you can get an idea of where we're going with this particular set of lessons. We are going to this morning talk about how we can have confidence, why we should have confidence, and why we should just know and have that assurance that we can be saved and that we are saved. And then this evening what I want to do is take a step back, and there are three passages in the book of Hebrews that particularly make people struggle with this concept, and I want to talk about each one of those three passages of Scripture. So that's where we're going with these two lessons. Uh, We do tend to struggle with the concept of confidence. Uh, We struggle with the concept of truly knowing and, and, and just being assured and confident that we are indeed saved. So I've, I've proposed this to you before many times, this idea of if someone were to ask you, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Most often our response is, I hope so, or I would like to think so. Or we have some sort of variation of that where we're not truly confidently saying yes because we don't want to be arrogant, we don't want to be prideful, we don't want to assume too much, but then we, of course, sound like sound a bit wishy-washy with the way that we respond regarding salvation. I am convinced the more and more I read scripture that we should be able to respond to that question with a resounding and confident yes. If I were to die today, I'm going to heaven. No questions about it. I don't, I'm not concerned about it. It is something that is absolutely going to happen. And I know that it's going to happen. How do you get there? How do you get there when most of us have been brought up in regard to this question with this other verse that says, take heed he who stands lest he fall. Anybody heard that passage associated with this topic? I mean, that, that's what we were brought up with. You can't really be confident. You, you, I mean, if you're confident, you, be careful because that, that absolutely means you shouldn't be confident. 
That's not true. That's not true at all. And especially as you look through different passages of Scripture, you find the expectation is that we know our salvation. I typically, when I talk about this topic, turn over to 1 John, because John spends a lot of time talking about this in his gospel. But because I want to discuss those three passages this evening, I thought it would be good to just kind of focus in on the book of Hebrews today. And I think you're going to be somewhat astonished how often it gets brought up. We're just going to look at a series of verses real quickly before we make some conclusions and wrap up this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, I want to read verse 6. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. I, we discussed this verse recently, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But here, the writer of Hebrews is building an argument that the things of the new covenant are superior and greater than the things of the old covenant. And one of the arguments he makes right here is this idea of what Moses built as opposed or in contrast to what Christ himself built. So for the sake of context, let me start back in verse 2. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as God was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now, every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household, as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. Now, here's the part I really want you to focus in on. We are that house if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Now, a couple of things I want you to note there about that particular passage of Scripture. One is that ever big word, if. If we do this, if we hold on, if we are confident, then we are God's house. Then we belong to God. So the assumption is those who belong to God will have confidence. I, I, I think that's pretty easy to see in this passage. The second thing I want you to notice there, in contrast to what I said earlier, take heed he who stands lest he fall. Okay, did you notice how it ends this verse? The one who boasts, or the hope in which we boast. Boast. You know, we're told, take heed, he who stands lest he fall, because, well, we don't want to brag. We don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to come across as if we have something that we shouldn't. According to the writer of Hebrews, we are to boast in our hope. Brag about it. Not brag about it from a, I have it, you don't, nana, nana, nana. But, but brag about it from a, I am so confident that I have this, I want to go out there and talk about it all the time. You know, one of the reasons I think we in the church have struggled with evangelism over the years is that we aren't convinced ourselves that we're saved. And if I'm not convinced myself that I have the, the mercy and grace of God and the promise of his inheritance, if I'm not fully convinced that I have that, then why am I going to go out there and talk to other people about it? People might see through the cracks. 
People might see my lack of confidence. People might see that I'm not really sure myself. And so I don't talk about it. No, no. Those who belong to God's house, they are not just confident, but they are boasting in their hope. That, that, that's a big difference from the way we were often brought up. Look in the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Let us come to the throne of God. Let us come, even in implication here, to the throne of Jesus. Let us come with confidence that we belong there that we, we should be, it is right for us to be in the presence of God. That's the way we come to him. Now that, that again, is, it's, it's such a far cry from what so many of us were brought up with. We were, we, with this concept of humility, we were convinced that you need to always kind of cautiously approach God because like the, the king in the story of Esther, you know, all God has to do is keep that scepter up. If he doesn't let it down, then whoop, off goes your head, right? And that we serve this God who is just eager to just chop heads off all over the place. It's just not true. The God we love is a God who loves. And he's a God who invites us into his presence. And as we've talked on many occasions, not just into his presence, but into his home. That's the kind of God we serve. And we're to come to that God before his throne with boldness. Go ahead and go to the next one. Chapter 6, verse 9. Even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. Do you hear that? We are confident that better things are there, and we are confident in all the things that pertain to your salvation. That would include their possession of it. Confident. Not a, uh, well, we need to speak cautiously about this because we don't want to appear, uh, you know, falsely bold. No. Be truly bold. Be, be absolutely assured. Be, no, without any doubt, salvation is yours. That, that's the standard we're given. Chapter 8. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. This is quoting Jeremiah 31. It says, I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Each person will not teach his fellow citizen and each brother or sister saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least 
to the greatest of them, for I will forgive their wrongdoings and I will never again remember their sins. Isn't that an incredible promise? And, and the idea here is that this covenant, this law, that this arrangement with God is different than what they had under the Old Testament. Not just in, in response to the forgiveness of sin, that, that's absolutely true, but even in the very idea of what it means to be in this covenant. When you were under the old covenant, you were born into it and you had to be taught about God, who God is, in order to make that dedication or that, that, that commitment to God to serve him for your life. It was something you grew up into. Whereas this covenant, the one we have, you are only in this covenant once you belong to God. Every citizen in this kingdom chose to be a citizen in this kingdom. And when they made that choice, they could rest confidently that he was their God and that they belonged to him. That's different. The, the whole concept of identity when it comes to Christianity is that you belong to him. And that if you belong to him, he will blot out your sins and remember them no more. Let me ask you, if your God, your king, has told you, I don't even know what your sins are, they're gone. Like, I, I don't even remember what they were. What do you have to be unconfident about? What is there left to be scared of. That, that the presentation we're given here. You're not rolling your sins forward as it talks about with the Day of Atonement. You're not still carrying those sins, but they're just displaced for a while, while until we roll them forward to the cross. That, that you have to go through life still wearing the guilt and the mantle of sin like they did in the Old Covenant. We don't have that. When we became citizens of this kingdom, God erased the sins and said, I don't even remember what they are. It makes me think of the many times that I was guilty of some sort of wrongdoing as a kid. And uh, I just knew my parents knew about it. I mean, just, they were just, they were acting different. They it was the way they looked at me, like in the tone of voice. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Like, you know they know something, but you don't know what they know, and it drives you nuts because, you, you know, I don't want to say something because if I say something and they don't know that part, well, now I've gotten myself into more trouble. And, and so I'm, I'm kind of in this weird in-between of, well, I, I'm kind of good but kind of bad situation with my parents and finally it drives me nuts enough that that I'm like okay here's what I did and they're like you did we don't remember that at all my parents used to play this trick on me we'd be on a, in the car somewhere and I'd do something stupid again regular activity in my life 
I, I do something worthy of being punished. But we're in the car, and, and, and so my, my, parent, my dad particularly, he loved this trick. He would say, hey, when we get home, you're going to be punished, but you've got to remind me. And I'm like, what? And he goes, if, if I forget, I mean, if you don't remind me and I remember, you're going to get double punishment. And now I'm left with which gamble do I go with, right? I mean, I don't want to be punished. And he might forget, but there were times when, when I gambled. And then I come forward and I fess and he'll say, I don't remember that. God doesn't remember. He forgot your sins on purpose. He erased them from his memory. What do you have to lack confidence about? One of the great things about being a part of this new covenant is that forgiveness isn't just offered, but it is freely given, and it is complete. Chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. For just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sins, but to bring salvation Hear this, to those who are waiting for him. You have to have a certain amount of confidence in Christ's love and your relationship with Christ to be eager to see him. And God's people should be eager to see him. Chapter 10, verse 22 and 23. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Assurance means confidence, a confidence that comes from faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Do you see, again, confidence, 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 assurance, draw near absolutely knowing that he is faithful. Let me ask you, should we have confidence? I, I don't know how you come to any other conclusion. Verse 35 and 36, so do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, but for you need endurance so that after you've done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Over and over and over again, we are reminded that we should trust in his promises, trust in his faithfulness, trust that we are in a right and good relationship with God. We're told over in Hebrews 13, verse 6, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? You see, the, the truth is, the reason we have confidence is because we have a God who has promised good things. We're told back in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9, although he was the son, 
He learned obedience from what was suffered. And after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, for he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He is the source. He is the reason. He is the author of our salvation. He wrote the story for us and made the ending good. That's what he has done on our behalf. Who are we to question his story? But we do. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, what we do when we question our confidence, when we question his promises, when we question his faithfulness, when we question that we can be right before God and boast in that hope, what we do is we are proclaiming by that lack of faith that his story is not true and that he is a liar. Chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 17 because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope that is before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul Firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Do you see all of that? It explains to us why we can have confidence. It explains to us what the, what the foundation of our boasting is. It's that he has done what is necessary. He has guaranteed it. He has promised. He, the unchangeable God, has said that his unchangeable purpose is absolutely something we can trust in and that his unchangeable character is something we can trust in and that if we understand who he is and what he has done then we should be boasting. We should be confident. We should know without any doubt that he has made hope possible. And I love this phrase right there. I want to read it again there. It's verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. We have a hope that makes our soul still. It holds us in place. It keeps us from being washed back and forth with the waves and the difficulties that life is going to throw at us, that life is going to... I mean, we're always hit from every side all day long, every day. And the only way we can truly stand firm in that kind of an environment is to have an anchor. Well, what's our anchor? Him. Him. 
his promises, his character, his purpose. It's him. And if we hold on to him, we are firm and secure. There is nothing wrong, brothers and sisters, with saying, I know. Nothing wrong with it. Because our confidence doesn't come from some sort of self-achievement. It doesn't come because we've earned it. And it doesn't come because we've done some great thing on behalf of God. God does the great thing. We rest in that. And shame on us if we don't. Truth is, if God said it, period, that's it. That's the end of the discussion. God said, be confident. So brothers and sisters, we only have one choice. Be confident. God said, To those who belong to his kingdom, you are saved. You have hope. You have a great future ahead of you. You are moving into my house and you will be cared for by me forever because I love you. He said it, period. That's it. We don't have to question anything else because that is the source that keeps us firm and secure. Now, we're going to talk tonight about those three passages. If you want to read ahead, it's Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 6, and Hebrews chapter 10. There's a section in there in each one of those places that talks about if we continue sinning. And we're going to talk about those tonight. And and so I don't want you to think I'm being unbalanced or, or only presenting one side of the coin here. I'm not. Because I'm convinced that even though the writer of Hebrews talks about those three things, it doesn't erase the dozen passages we just looked at that say, be confident. Because we can truly have confidence. So I'll throw this out there. If you're not confident, today's the day to fix it. If you don't know, and and I don't mean... Think maybe, not what I mean by no. If, if you aren't absolutely, positively sure, then today's the day to fix that. You might need prayers. We'll pray for you. You might need to be baptized into Christ. We'll do that. You you might need to discuss with somebody that you respect or love, that you know loves you. Hey, what do I do? I'm I'm having doubt. Then let's have those discussions. Or or go talk to who you know you can have those discussions with. But I want to tell you right now, if you go to bed tonight wondering, it's not because God hasn't guaranteed. It's because you have refused to believe. Because what God has given us to believe is a wonderful thing. It is an anchor for our soul that holds us firm and secure. I want you to know you are saved and to know your eternal destiny. 
And I invite you, if there's some way we can help you with that, come forward and let us know as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's Word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.